everyone, and welcome to Gamers on the Go, a podcast dedicated solely to those games you can take with you. I'm your host, Chase Kennecke. Today's show is on Spelunky, and my guest is Pierce Corshane. Hi, hello. Pierce, it is good to talk to you again. Um, I know, I'm excited. It's, it actually probably hasn't been that long since we did the, uh, the PAX podcast together with, uh, yeah, with Matt Pierce. Was... Do you remember what your last uh, whole podcast was? Like, just you and me? I think you... Yeah, I think it was our gym leader run uh, in Pokemon Diamond. And yeah, that sounds Whatever right. the other ones are, Crystal... <laughs> Diamond and Pearl, yes. Diamond Pearl, yeah. Crystal is one, but that, that came much earlier. Um, but yeah, we're talking about Spelunky here today. Um, Which I'm so excited about. I'm, I'm excited too. So let's, let's get this out of the way first. Fuck Spelunky. It's maybe the worst game ever made. It's garbage. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. Hate yourself, yeah. and then you'll learn to love Spelunky. No, that was that was very much that was very much directed at a run I had this morning that was going so very well. I had thirty bombs. I had a jetpack. I had a shotgun. I was uh, I was trying not to do the run, uh, the the challenge, the chain, whatever you want to call it. We'll get into yeah. what that is in a little bit here. Uh, I was trying not to do that. I specifically just like I'm I'm just going to get to Olmec. I'm going to beat this thing. It's going to be fine. This will make me feel real good before the podcast. And I was in the ice caves. I had uh, still pissed off a shopkeeper, so now everyone's pissed at me. And I had him. He was at the door. I shot him. He was dizzy. I tried to shoot him again. He jumped over my bullets and hit me once and knocked me way into the pit. And it was fucking (laughs) bullshit. Oh, it was it was crushing. I was doing. Oh, I had everything going well. I had seven life. <sighs> now, since we both we've both beaten this game before, but in the last two and a half weeks we've been playing it. Have you beaten it in the God, last two and a half weeks? God no. I've I've lost all yeah. my spelunky skill. Like, it's all gone. It's definitely a game that your skills come in waves where there'll be like two days where I'm just kicking ass and getting to the temples and stuff like that. And then there are other days like last night, I just couldn't get out of the mines for some reason. I couldn't even do the most simple task. Right. So I, am I the one who introduced you to Spelunky? Uh, yeah, you, you had said something to me, um, like years ago and it happened to come up. It was free on PlayStation plus. I think it was like, Oh, I guess when it launched, on PlayStation 4. Right. So that, was, that first one did it. That was October was 7th, 2014, by the way. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that. No problem. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember I had played this game for a long time before before you actually really gave it a shot. And, and there was a time where you were telling me about your runs, and I was trying to give you little hints without giving, giving up you know, crucial information that you should probably find out on your own. And uh, and now it seems like you. I think you are the better Spelunky player of the two of us now, because um, <laughs> I have not been getting to the temple uh, much I at had all. A great teacher. Huh? Oh, I had a great teacher. Well, that's very kind of you to say, and, and probably incorrect. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, let's talk about Spelunky. Uh, Spelunky is so we're talking about the PlayStation Vita version, uh, being that that is the only one that is handheld. Uh, it did not originally come out on the on the PlayStation Vita. Uh, originally, uh, Spelunky Classic, the the pixel p- 
pixel art freeware version of the game came out on December 21st, 2008 uh, for PCs. Again, uh, freeware, shareware stuff. Uh, the HD remake version uh, first saw life on the Xbox 360. That came out July 4th of 2012. And then about another year after that, it got ported to Vita and PS3, uh, August 27th of 2013. And then PS4, uh, like we said, October 7th, 2014. So um, it's, it's, had a, it's had a pretty long tail. Um, yeah. And it sounded like from... So we're... Okay, let's, let's get this out of the way first. We have both been reading, or in my case, have finished the uh, Spelunky book written by the creator, Derek Yu. Uh, that is out on bossfightbooks.com if you want to go find that. I, I think it is a fantastic book. It's, uh, it's pretty actually awesome, yeah. It's, it's kind of surprised. It's really cool to, to get in a developer's head like that and to see why he made decisions the way he did and and how um, some of these things came together. I mean, that that in part is, is what this show is kind of all about. I know... Uh, Scammers on the Go book club, dude. <laughs> yes, basically. Um and, and I think I've said before, like, a game like Spelunky wouldn't show up on, on Gamers on the Go because it's it, it feels like it's against the spirit of being a handheld game since it came out on PC and then 360 before it even made it to a handheld console. And reading this book and, and talking to you a little bit more made me kind of soften my position. There, there's even a line in this book where, where he thought Spelunky made sense on a handheld console. Uh, the original pixel art version because that, that pixel art transfers so well to handheld uh, systems that being this roguelike like run based thing and we'll get into that too um, that lends itself better uh, as a shorter experience to something like a handheld and and that made me think you know what this is this is really a good game to talk about for this show and uh, I would say this might be the definitive version also like playing on the Vita, this is the ideal way of playing it. I yes, I I would say well when I'm I'm super biased to handheld games, of course. Um, but yeah, I, I think the definitive way to play. I know there are some some more upgrades on the Steam version of uh, of Spelunky HD that that make it maybe the the overall best version in terms of the actual game. But in the actual playing of the game, yeah, I'd I'd go I'd go back to Vita. Uh, so yes, this is a this is an indie game. It's one of the earlier examples of an indie game uh, that really, uh, or at least the modern the modern indie game for sure. So you think of you think of your indie games that that kind of paved the way for everyone else, and you think of Braid, which I we I have a complicated relationship with Braid. Uh, Great game, but I everything you say is a lie. I can respect that it is a, a game that people like. Um, and actually, Braid has a lot to do with uh, Spelunky's uh, move over to the Xbox 360 as well. But uh, games like Braid, games like Fez, uh, Super Meat Boy, Limbo, these these kinds of games that... Uh, World of Goo is another good one. Uh, these these games kind of showed what modern indie games were. It's This is when the Xbox 360 and PS3 were starting to look into these downloadable titles, these $10, $15 titles... And and now I feel like that is that's a huge market these days. Think of think of all the great indie games. There are tons that have come out this year and and last year for sure. Uh, even just going back and listening to uh, our game of the year episodes of Gamers on the Go, 
like those those games come out uh, those games start to shine you have something like rogue legacy which i don't know if i've talked about a lot on this show i know i've talked to you a lot about uh, a yeah. lot about it pierce uh, but those uh those kind of are becoming my favorite games at this point it's it's not really a genre but it's a it's like a level a tier of games that are just fantastic I, I really enjoy these these fifteen dollar games that uh, are especially these run based games where you uh, kind of arcade style uh, and you let's just get into the the rogue like rogue like like rogue like light whatever. Let's also not get too hung up on the, the de- genre definition. Yeah, I, I, I mean a, let's let's give ourselves a baseline here because yeah, I definitely I hate this this conversation. So let's just kind of get it out of the way. Uh, Rogue is a 1980 dungeon crawling game for PC. Um, it's it's a tile based, turn based, procedurally generated level permadeath game. Uh, a lot of people liked it, and then there was such a thing called rogue likes, which are basically just kind of uh, directly inspired by Rogue games like Hack or NetHack, Mystery Dungeon series, and they take those kind of four core tenets that that procedurally generated levels. The turn-based gameplay, the tile-based graphics, and and having permanent death, and then I I suppose you can kind of get into the roguelike like or rogue roguelike lights or roguelite. I don't know all the stupid names for it, uh, but these are the games that kind of co-op some of those elements in in different styles and genres. So uh, these are games like Spelunky, which is more of a platformer, FTL, which is uh, kind of a strategy, somewhat of a real-time strategy game that has some some time-stopping elements into it. Uh, Binding of Isaac, which is is very much a twin-stick shooter in the Zelda dungeon top-down sense. And, and another game like Rogue Legacy, where it's uh, that's that's also kind of a platformer. And then even something, I'd, I'd go so far as to say something like Diablo. Uh, Diablo 3 especially, with the hardcore mode where you have permanent death and... and uh, um, it, what's the, uh, is it called adventure mode or, or what's it called in, uh, adventure mode where you just kind of skip around everywhere. Yeah. And it, it doesn't, it, does it have procedurally generated levels of just, or is it just yeah. here's random? Yeah. Everything's procedurally generated. Okay, cool. Um, so yeah, you, you see those kinds of games where people talk about roguelike likes and, and you kind of get that permanent death run based idea, but, uh, there are also kind of power-ups and RPG elements into it. And in something like Diablo, you're actually leveling up a character and choosing skills. In a game like Spelunky, you find power-ups around the field and, uh, and grab those to, to give your characters, uh, new abilities. And when you, when you die in, in the run, you don't keep those things. You have to start over fresh every single time. So yeah, um, Spelunky, uh, like we said, originally a freeware game made for Windows. Um, Derek Yu uh, created Spelunky Classic all by himself. Uh, he was working on a, a previous game called uh, uh, Aquaria with um, Alec uh, Haloka, I want to say is his, is his last name. Um, they live have in, you played Aquaria, by the way? I have not. Um, I feel like that's one I probably should go back and try. I know. Um, I feel the same way. Especially yeah. after reading this book, and I mean, my love for Spelunky is immense, so I'm sure whatever this guy's made before, I should be playing. Definitely, yeah. Um, I know, uh, so Aquaria and then Eternal Daughter is another one that, that comes up when, when you 
talk about Derek Yu, and, and I haven't played either of those games. And, and honestly, I don't know what he's working on right now. It's been a little while since Splunky got ported to, to PS4, so I'm sure he's working on something. Um, but I didn't really look into, into that. Probably should have, but um, looking forward to what he makes now. Uh, anyway, so those two guys, they lived in different countries while they were making this game. It kind of made for an arduous uh, development process trying to you know, one person's awake while the other person's asleep because of the time zone differences. And and Derek really just wanted to kind of have a cool-down game after the long uh, development of Aquaria. So that's that led to him making this one smaller pixel art game by himself. And that was Spelunky. So uh, Spelunky is kind of a hit in the freeware community, uh, especially on a site called TIGSource, which stands for the Indie Gaming Source, uh, which you, Derek Yu, was a... Uh, moderator, manager, eventual owner of. Uh, and then that game got the attention of Jonathan Blow, who we know from Braid and more recently The Witness. And um, Jonathan ended up offering uh, Derek Yu to, to use Braid's engine, game engine, to actually make a port of Spelunky for the Xbox 360. He said that he would get him in touch with the guys at Microsoft and kind of give him an in uh, to be one of these next great smaller indie titles for Xbox. And uh, it seemed like the Microsoft guys were were really impressed by the game. They could already go out and play Splunky Classics, so now it was just a, a, a case of how to upgrade the game for, for 360 and, and what you could do. So the, the pixel art became, uh, I would say, closer to like, I don't want to say flash animation, but it, it definitely took on a, a more cartoony, stylized style. Yeah, a little smoother. Yeah, the uh, the chip tunes were taken away and replaced with uh, a really fantastic soundtrack. I think Spelunky has some really oh, great definitely. music in it. Uh, that is, and the, on Spotify, if you want to listen to the soundtrack, it is on Spotify. Awesome. Yeah, people people absolutely should. And I I downloaded the soundtrack. I can't remember. I'm sure it's on Bandcamp somewhere. Uh, but it was created by Eric Serke. And uh, that's Eric in kind of the Nordic sense, E-I-R-I-C-K or R-I-K. Um, but if you want to Google him up, uh, I'll, I'll try to put a link in the show notes if I can uh, find the, uh, the Bandcamp page. So you can listen to the awesome Spelunky tunes because there are some really good ones, especially the Ice Caves. I think the Ice Caves uh, general music is, is some of my favorite um, of what he does there. Anyway, so uh, Splunky Classic seems to be super popular. Now we're getting this this upgraded version. Uh, there are lots of features that Derek Yu wants to add to this, and and some of those kind of get stripped away as uh, as they just need to kind of put out a game. It got delayed quite a few times. They ended up switching. Oh, they uh, Derek Yu ended up getting uh, a programming partner in Andy Hull to uh, to help him make the game they ended up switching to making their own engine because they were having issues with braid's engine and jonathan blow wasn't really around to help because he was too busy making the witness which was also a long game that uh ended up being pretty good uh, anyway so we got spelunky hd for xbla and uh and it came with some some new stuff in there we had um uh, specifically the co-op um Pierce, have you actually played Splunky and Co-op? I have. Okay. I have played a little uh, Splunky Co-op with uh, my brother, and 
willing to weigh in on that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about that right now. That's actually the way that I was really introduced to Spelunky. Uh, I I bought it um, because I'm I'm pretty sure I read some gaming sites and heard that it was really good and uh, saw it and immediately thought like, oh, that's that's something I'd like to play, and uh, and downloaded it and tried it a little bit myself. But uh, my friend Ty, Ty Fromm, who's been on this uh, podcast before. Uh, Not the last episode. And yeah, he was on the last episode, in fact. Um, but he was over at my apartment and uh, said, hey, you want to you try this? It has a co-op mode. And my God, we were awful. <laughs> um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the way um, the, the characters can interact with each other. Um, there's, there's friendly fire. There's friendly everything um, in that any mechanics that uh, you can do to affect the enemies on the screen also equally affect your your co-op partner and uh, that can lead to uh, a lot of a lot of curse words when uh, when somebody screws over the other person accidentally which happens often um, so yeah why don't you weigh in and tell me how about how'd you do with your brother were you guys uh, a little more coordinated than than ty and myself no, not really. I brought Taylor in um, after I had kind of like gotten my feet wet in the game. I was very familiar with it. I think I had beaten it at that point. Um, so it was kind of me teaching him how to play the game. And Splunky, because it is a run-based game, depending on your skill level, you have your own kind of like internal pace. And there is a set time limit on the levels, even though there's no nothing counting down. Um, so that kind of... that that speed that you're used to playing at needs you to be throttled back or enhanced depending on who you're playing with. And, you know, if it's, if it's a competitive game and you're working together, it's easier to communicate. But I think in Spelunky, there's just so much that's not uh, understood on the surface. So what you end up communicating is really much more basic things than like strategy and like flow of, of going with it. Now, if I played with someone who was very familiar with the game, maybe that's different. But if you're playing with a noob like Taylor was, <laughs> it's mostly like trying to hold his hand and then getting the hell out of his way when he's trying to do something because he's going to throw that whip around and chuck bombs at you and stuff like that completely unintentionally. But it, it becomes very frustrating very quickly. And I understand why he, why Derek, you created co-op in so far as that you can like everything in the environment you can interact with in the same way i totally understand that philosophy but to me it was never very rewarding experience when it came to um, co-op because there's just too many human elements involved. yeah absolutely i i definitely think there are levels to uh somebody's spelunky iq and it changes the way you play the game and there's there's definitely kind of a casual like, hey, we're just starting out Spelunky, uh, even as a, as a sole player. You're playing solo runs. Uh, there's so much stuff you don't know of, like, what, what does a spider do? Like, oh, I, I didn't know they could fall from the ceilings. I didn't know they could jump, uh, what the arc of a jump is, how, how far they can actually jump. And, and that's just one enemy. Now you have uh, the giant spider that can shoot webs and does kind of the, the jumping stuff that a regular spider does, and uh, there's there's so many enemies and traps and items and things that you just don't know what they do and and you aren't really told until you 
collect it or, or understand it. Yeah, you have to experience it. Um, then you actually do get an adventure journal that you can can page back through and see what some of these items do. Or uh, if you're like most other people, you check the internet. And the internet, uh, lots of wikis out there that can tell you exactly what these things do and, and why that matters. But, you know, the first time you get something like the pitcher's mitt, you, you don't really know what that means. And then only through some testing and experience can you find out, oh, that, that means instead of the, the regular arc of, of, item, of thrown items, uh, now you can throw them in a straight line indefinitely because now you've gotten this pitcher's strength to be able to throw it um, super far and super straight. Uh, and even like the, the actual items and like acquiring the items isn't always straightforward. Last night, I uh, I got on a. It's the Splunky right now is free for games with gold, and a couple of my friends have been hearing me raving about it, so they downloaded it last night. And then I got on like a a group chat, and they were all playing in their separate games, but kind of discovering the game um, throughout the night. And I was just there. To listen, I like like what you were saying when you kind of brought me under your wing. You didn't want to say too much because you didn't want to spoil the uh, the adventure aspect of it, yeah. of like and the discovery aspect. But at the same time, uh, checking the internet isn't the same as like asking your buddy, like, "Hey, like, what what do the glasses do?" and me explaining to him what the glasses do, and he's like, oh, it's not working. And I was like, oh, well, you actually have to equip the glasses, and not really even understanding that once you buy the glasses. You, you, there's still another step in order to use them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like all those really opaque things, which makes the game great in terms of like your self-worth because you figure something out and you feel really good about yourself. But yeah, to, to like cooperative mode, it just didn't just, it just didn't work for me. Definitely, yeah. I, I mean, I have not been able to have an effective co-op game uh, at all. Uh, I've seen effective co-op games being played on something like Twitch, and that leads me back to the, the levels of Spelunky play. You have that casual play where you're just kind of learning and figuring things out. Then you have uh, a basic understanding of how things work and you're trying to get through the levels. And then I think going through the game and getting to Olmec, which is the um, the boss of the game. The, Base game? Yeah. The, right, the, the regular boss. Uh, getting through past Olmec and, and actually seeing credits, I feel like that's where you've kind of hit, okay, you understand the basics of Spelunky. And that can take you a long while. It took me a long while. I, I never beat Olmec uh, playing through the 360 version. Uh, to be fair, I didn't give it a, a huge shot because I played it a lot with Ty that one night. I went back and tried to play it a little bit myself. And, man, I, it was it's a very challenging game because it is so mechanically dense that there is a lot to learn before you can actually start getting uh, what I would call good or even decent at Spelunky. Uh, so I put it down for a long while until the Vita version came out and uh, watched... Uh, I think what really reinvigorated me was watching Patrick Klepek uh, play through the game on Giant Bomb where he did, um, did different runs uh, each day and... You, I got to learn a lot more about Spelunky's mechanics just by watching him play, and then it became more of a spectator sport of, oh no, Patrick, watch! Don't don't run that way. There's a spider hanging up there, or don't don't do that. The shopkeeper's right there, and and that was that was a ton of fun watching that, and that really got me back into the idea of man, you know, I I feel like I know a lot about Spelunky now. I should go back and actually start playing the game, 
And uh, that's when I realized that, wow, yeah, actually now that I understand a lot more of these mechanics, now, now I know what to do. And that's when I first beat Olmec, and that feels really good. So once you've done, great, yeah. yeah, it's awesome. Like that, Splunky is a hard game uh, for sure. Uh, so to be able to beat it in any ending is a uh, is pretty uh, a pretty important task. But um, then you start to understand that there are these special items in the game. There's a, is it, it feels like four main ones, and then once you once you are kind of on the path to the true ending, there are a couple extra ones, but the, there's four main ones that are important, I would say. Um, and you, you find one, you're going to find just kind of through playing the game normally when, when you, uh, you're in the mines, there are four areas of Splunky, the, the mines, the jungle, the ice caves and the temple. And they are four levels within those four areas. Right. Absolutely. Very, very Mario brothers of them. But, um, it's, it's um, like you, you always run them in the same order. You're always going to do the mines first and then go to the jungle, then to the mines, then, or then to the ice caves, and then finally to the temple. And the temple is where Olmec lives. So when you're in the mines, you'll undoubtedly end up running into a key or a treasure chest with a big lock on it. And you kind of put two and two together and think, maybe I should put this key into this big lock. And then once you do, you get this... Uh, weird-looking item that that goes up into the top left corner of your screen, and all the items do that do that and, and show up there, so you know what your uh, what kind of your passive abilities are up there. But this one goes into a different section, and uh, that item is called the. Uh, and I'm going to screw up all of these names because they're Egyptian, and I'm not good at that. <laughs> but I believe it's the, I believe Proud. it's the Ujat Eye. That sounds good. U-D-J-A-T. Yeah, Ujat. Um, and and if you're like me, uh, you're not exactly sure what that does at the beginning. You you see that it changes some of the sprites in uh, in some of the, the cave walls, that now you can see some of these gems. In Spelunky, it's, it's very much, uh, I guess we should backtrack a little bit, it's very much inspired by... Indiana Jones and Tomb Raidery kind of stuff. You're you're going through these mines. You're looking for treasure. Your your character has a whip and has the the Indiana Jones hat. Like you are very much that kind of adventurer guy. And even the items that you find uh, within the caves are a lot of uh, thematic. Yeah, they they very much hit those themes. It's a lot of mythical mythological items. It's a lot of climbing gear style items. So you, you find this Ujat eye, you see that now some of these things in the walls have turned to these gems, uh, that you've, you've seen gems in the game, but not necessarily in the walls. So okay, that, that's weird. Uh, then you just keep playing Spelunky, and then you get to the, uh, the jungle area, the second area of the game. And in one of those levels, you'll see that eye up at the top left corner of your screen. It'll flash blue on, on one of these levels somewhat randomly. And uh, that's that's weird. I, I'm sure I'd gotten the Ujat Eye a few different times before I even noticed that it had a little flash. Oh, yeah. And I walked around with that thing for so long, like months of playing this game, not knowing what it did. And it doesn't seem but that it doesn't seem that useful. Like it, it doesn't seem like man. I it took it took some effort to get that key into that lock, 
and all I get is is the idea of like, oh, I can find some money in some walls now. That's that's not all that helpful. Like it's 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 okay, but I don't know if it's worth the effort. Uh, but then uh, again, like this was this was me not understanding the mechanics of the game until much later. But uh, I I fell into just the uh, the pulsing of the the Ujot eye kind of ends up being uh, somewhat like a metal detector where it starts to flash and, and beep a little bit as you get close to something. And you can finally start to, to hone in on that place, or, or home in, rather, and, uh, and find a, a separate exit to the level than what you've expected before. And that takes Only in the jungles, though. Only in the jungles, yeah. And I think only jungles two through four. I believe that's right. I think you have to get through at least one level of the jungle before uh, the eye will will do anything, or the secret exit will show up for for you at all. Uh, and that takes you to this whole new area that is, while it's still very much in the jungles, it's uh, it's called the black market. It uh, it says "Welcome to the black market," and you see all of these shops. Now, shops are something that you'll actually find in the game regularly, uh, but not this many and not in this pattern and they have tons of amazing items for sale and so far you've you've only been through five to seven levels at this point uh maybe five maybe eight levels so you probably haven't had much opportunity to build up tons and tons of gold uh there are ways to to build up a ton of gold really early in the game uh but if you're playing in this kind of semi-intermediate level of Spelunky, you, you probably don't know those those tips and tricks quite yet. Um, but yeah, there's there's so many amazing items here that, that most of them you probably haven't even seen yet because they, uh, they show up here or in later levels of the game or, or very rarely in the, uh, in the early parts. Or even if they show up earlier, they are incredibly expensive there and you almost assuredly don't have the money for them then. Uh, so you, you start to see items like the jetpack, which gives your character a boost. Uh, normally, your character uh, can kind of jump one tile high, one unit high, or two. I mean, you can reach up to something that is two levels. I don't, one and a half. Or yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm getting very much buried into the weeds here. Um, okay, so <laughs> I think what, what you're missing is that you... you you, when you enter the, the world of Spelunky, when you go into Mines 1-1, you get, is it four bombs and four ropes? Four bombs and four ropes, that's what you start out with. And yes. then you get a, a very short attack, that's a like a whip attack that just goes forward. You can't really attack anything above you or like at an angle. It, uh, it, has, a, it has a tiny little hitbox that can hit something uh, above and behind you and above you, yeah. but it's you're, you're going to want to attack things from the front. Yeah. So as you acquire, like, when you first discover items either in boxes that are just random throughout the level or in the shops, you don't really know what's good and what's bad. I I think all the items have their merits, but it really depends on your style of play, I think. So you're right about the the black market. It's like you you enter it and it's like, I can buy whatever the hell I want. It's like the first paycheck you get as a teenager and you go to the game store or something. It's like, I actually have money to afford the the things in here. (laughs) Um, And you're right. You don't have a ton of money because you just haven't played that long into the game yet. Um, But 
there are a, you just it's your pick of the litter sort of thing. And I certainly have the items that I always go to. If I'm not robbing the shopkeepers, I know what I'm going to get um, immediately. But it's uh, it's a pretty special experience. Once you get to the black market, it's hard to like. Once you go to the black market once, it's hard to skip it in, in any run going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the key and lock don't always show up in in the right combination to help to, to make it easy for you to find that Ujat eye. So you're not always getting to the black market, but that seems like it's always a goal at least. Uh, anyway, so I was. I think my point was trying to get to this idea of these levels of Spelunky and, and this kind of intermediate play where you start to learn about the chain, and the chain is these four items. The Ujat Eye helps you to get to the black market. The black Inside the black market is a very special item called the Ankh, and uh, the Ankh will allow you to uh, have an extra life, uh, which is unheard of in Spelunky since it is a game about permanent death. Uh, that if you can have this thing that, that revives you once uh, before it breaks, that's kind of a, an awesome thing. Uh, then you get to the ice caves, and you can you realize later or, or through a guide or however you learn uh, that if you die at a very specific level, one that has this Moai statue, or it might not be a Moai statue, it's it's some giant head. Um, yeah, is, no, I think it is. That, uh, those are the Easter Island people, right? Right. Uh, yep. That is completely unbreakable. It, it doesn't uh, it doesn't break apart with bombs like a lot of the other uh, pieces of the level do. Uh, but if you if you die in that uh, in that stage, that you will with the onk still active. The the onk will break. You'll revive, but you will revive inside the head, and you will then receive the third uh, Egyptian item of the chain called the head jet. I believe H E D G E T. Or J-E-T. Uh-huh. Um, a jet? Yeah, I guess. Slur it together. Yeah. Uh, and that will... You, you continue to play. I believe you'll you'll probably... Like the like the jungle, I think it's... Uh, you have to play through at least one level of the ice caves before that statue will show up. Uh, so you'll continue just playing the game somewhat normally. Uh, but that will you'll eventually get to the temple, the, the fourth stage, uh, fourth area of the game. And in there, you'll find an enemy called Anubis, who has that uh, jackal dog head with the uh, the the uh, King Tut headdress thing going on, the, the pharaoh, very pharaoh-like. Uh, and he has uh, a weapon called the scepter that he'll shoot at you. But if you can kill Anubis, you can get that scepter. And having the head jet and the scepter allow you to get into a locked door in the temple that takes you to an area called the City of Gold. And once you're at the City of Gold, now you are... Now you actually understand some Spelunky mechanics. You you kind of can't... I guess you could do this by accident, but it's very it's very hard to do this by accident. So you probably yeah, know what no you're way. doing at this point. And I guess that, someone had to do it by accident at first. Yeah, at least it had to happen at some point for anyone to know. But... Um, yeah, you get into the City of Gold, It's it very much looks like the temple, but all the walls and floors and everything is made of gold. Everything that you uh, can bomb out or, or kill holds uh, gold pieces and, and rubies and, and items in there that can boost your, your uh, treasure count, which also uh, doubles as your score. And that's that's kind of the chain. Uh, there, there are... 
future items, there's a, a book that you find in the in the City of Gold that helps you get to uh, kind of works a, a little bit like the Ujat Eye when you fight Olmec. It it uh, is a little more subtle on showing you the uh, the metal detector style thing, and uh, that gets you to a secret area if you can defeat Olmec in the correct way. Uh, that can then take you to the game's true final area, and that is hell. And getting all the way through hell gets you to the true final boss. And his name is his name is his name is Yama, I believe. I keep wanting to say Yanma, and then I think, wait, no, that's a Pokemon. It's Yama. <laughs> Everything's a Pokemon these days. True, everything is a Pokemon, uh, but I believe it is Yama, Y-A-M-A. Um, and then defeating Yama, he's a very large, angry, pissed-off dude. Uh, defeating Yama will get you to the true ending. Pierce, have you beaten the true ending of Spelunky? Absolutely not. Yeah. And I have not even gotten to the City of Gold. Really? We were talking about briefly. Um, I know, I kind of hoped that I would before this podcast, but didn't happen. Yeah. Um, All right, maybe, yeah, maybe I, I rescind, rescind what I said, because I've gotten to Yama twice. So maybe oh, maybe well, I still am everything. the better Spelunky yeah. character, Spelunky player of the two of us. Uh, but I think right now, currently, I've lost a lot of, I've lost a step or two. So you are probably the, the better player. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm retiring from competitive Spelunky play. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Derek, you does a great job of explaining these uh, difficulty levels in in the book, and he didn't want something that's very explicit very obviously gamey where there's an easy mode, a hard mode, a medium, a normal mode or whatever you want to call it. And by having these different objectives, he's subtly putting in different difficulty levels. I am content with just playing normal mode, which is where you just go and you beat Olmec. You just get through the, the four main worlds and you kill that big ass dude and then, and then you win the game and you, you credits roll sort of thing. Now I've gotten to the point where I want to attempt that hard mode, which is that chain. I just want to get the City of Gold at this point. Like, once I get used to getting the City of Gold, then I can try defeating Yama and all that kind of stuff. But at this rate, I'm so unconfident about my ability to even get to the City of Gold that I don't know (laughs) if that's a feasible uh, goal right now. I think it's totally a feasible goal. Uh, It's being a run-based game that uh, has a lot of a lot of randomness to it. You're going to get runs where you are very well equipped to do something like that. And then it's, it's up to your kind of intuition and your uh, ability to remember all of the dense mechanics that are going on around you and all all of these different levels. But uh, it's, there are going to be some runs where you just are, (laughs) you just get handed, dealt a bad hand. Yep, you just uh, don't have it. Yeah. And that just happens. That seems to happen more often than not, as it kind of should. I, I don't know if you should be able to uh, get a, a good run every single time. Or I, I think there are ways to make a, turn a bad run into a good run, uh, but more often than not, you, you just kind of play the hand you're dealt, and you know sometimes it's a good one and sometimes it's a bad one. Yeah, and I think there, there's reward to be had by... Uh exceeding expectations with a bad run. Last night, I was playing, and I, somewhere around, like, Jungles 4, I realized I have nothing. I have, like, two health, zero bombs, and, like, two ropes. And somehow, that run ended in, like, Temples 2. 
And I was really proud of myself. It's like that that's this game dealt me a, a shitty hand and I made the best of it and th- now I'm showcasing my ability and my progress in, in learning the game by just, you know, making lemonade out of lemons. Yeah. Th- this game is very much about learning. Um, one of the there's a quote that uh, Derek, you quote somebody in the book, uh, a reviewer uh, about Spelunky, and it's I'm going to summarize a little bit, but Spelunky is not like learning a piece of music. A, a piece of music doesn't change. You are learning those notes, and then you play those notes in that correct order. Spelunky is is very much more like a game of chess, where you have to know what everything can do, and then you have to be able to see those things uh, happening in front of you so you can analyze and actually execute things correctly. Uh, There are a a ton of games out there that have memorization uh, that are part of them, and I don't really think Splunky is one. Splunky is much more about analyzing a situation and uh, performing it effectively, making a plan and and actually executing it. And that's kind of why... I I don't know if I'd say Splunky is, is... my favorite game uh, it's not wouldn't even be in my top 10 <laughs> um, uh, since I've been recently uh, tasked with creating my top 10 games of all time for a separate podcast uh, Spelunky didn't make my top 10 it is it is a game that I love though and it's one game that I would call and probably erroneously but I would call mechanically perfect uh, in that it very, like you said at the beginning of this podcast you hate yourself not Spelunky because yeah. Spelunky makes sense. Everything works together and comes together in a way that if if you were actually spl- playing Spelunky as as best you could, as as uh, if you could execute Spelunky perfectly, you'd win every single time. Even, yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't. Even when it deals you a bad hand, because everything in Spelunky has been made to allow you to take the tools at your disposal and to, and to beat it. There, there can be runs where maybe you wouldn't get to uh, the city of gold or to Yama, but there you should be able to beat the game uh, every single time you play it. And it's really just a matter of how, how can you minimize your mistakes and minimizing your risk and taking risks at the, at the right times and, knowing how to how to take those situations and, and make them work for you. Uh, and, and part of that is it has so many mechanics and so many things at play at any one time. To keep track of all that stuff, it's, it doesn't feel possible. It is possible, but it just doesn't feel possible. At some point, you're going to, to run uh, when you should have been walking, and maybe you'd hit a spike trap. And you shouldn't have hit that spike trap. Spike traps are really easy to avoid. But when you're also thinking about avoiding that spider or avoiding this bat or trying to get this, uh, this trying to uh, maneuver around this yeti who can punch you really far, uh, you're going to break down and you're going to forget one element. And that element is the thing that inevitably ends up killing you. And it seems like every... Every single run of Spelunky, every failed run of Spelunky, has a story like that. Um, like, even even today, uh, when I was going on my really good run with that shopkeeper, uh, and had, had a jetpack, had the shotgun, was ready to go, I was totally equipped. I could have easily 
gotten to Yama if I had just played correctly. And I got a little too greedy. I thought I could zip down uh, to where this angry shopkeeper was and avoid his shotgun blast. And I was mistaken. And I uh, I paid for it dearly. And, and it's those split-second decisions that keep you from from getting to the highest levels of Splunky. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love games that hold you accountable for the, the, the success or failure. Um, it's one of the reasons why I love Dark Souls, um, for that matter. But um, Derek has done a, an excellent job of, of removing the luck that's involved in terms of like just the basic success, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you might not make it to the City of Gold because you didn't get the right roll of the dice on the, the level design, but you can always get to the end of the level uh, without using a single item. Um, and that's just that's just a really awesome way to play. I, I, even when I'm like fucked over by what I have and what I've got in my inventory, um, I never feel like I'm out of it sort of thing. Like it's to the last second I'll play until I die. And uh, that's that just credit to, to Derek Yu and, and um who would you say the programmer was for this? Andy Hull. Yeah. And Andy, I mean, you're you're right about mechanically it being the perfect game. I totally, totally can agree with that, even though that's a perfect to such a... Yeah, and, it, and it's a, not true. It's I mean, what I hate using. But. Yeah, absolutely. It's And it's not quite true either. I, I think it's true when you get to those lower levels of Spelunky play, but when you get to the highest levels and you find this item called the ball and chain, which is very hard to get on its own, and then you can find there are uh there are ways to kind of cheat at the game a little bit uh, some of them have been fixed some of them haven't because they are uh when when derek you found out about it <laughs> he's like actually that is really cool and i'm gonna leave that glitch in there um that that unbreakable moai statue is is actually not unbreakable when you uh take into account this uh this rare and difficult to get item called the ball and chain um so it, it isn't absolutely perfect. There are some cracks in the design, but it is so it is such at the highest levels that you're you're rarely going to uh, approach that kind of stuff. And I liked what you said about how the the luck has been taken out of this game, and it absolutely has. But the finesse part has been left left there. Like there are yeah. Like we said, with with turning bad situations into good ones, there are there are so many things. There, this game is rarely uh, definitive about things. Like death is very definitive, but other than that, like you can you can really kind of make things work even when you don't feel you should be able to. Um, and one of the one of the big examples of this that I like is the time limit or the kind of lack of time limit of of the game. So instead of something like Super Mario Brothers that uh, has a, a time uh, has I think it's five minutes per um, Super Mario Brothers stage, if I'm not mistaken. And if you don't beat the level in those five minutes, then you're then Mario just ups and dies, uh, even if nothing touched you. So in Splunky, that doesn't happen. There are no hard time limits. Instead, uh, each level has uh, around the uh, two minute and 30 second mark, uh, there will be a ghost that comes out of one side of the wall or the other side 
and will just chase your character. And it's it's relatively slow. Slowly, um, yeah. It's it is large though, and it's somewhat hard to to avoid. There are ways to to move around it, but it's when you're first starting Splunky and you get to that point and you see that ghost, it makes you want to hurry up. It makes you want to get the hell out of there, especially if the ghost touches you once and you learn that touching the ghost is an instant one-hit kill. Um, so as a, as a more casual player, that is your soft time limit, soft cap, your encouragement to get the hell out of there. Like you can't play this game too conservatively, even though you want to, because you know that this ghost is looming and this ghost can kill you in a single shot. But as you get better at Spelunky, you can learn how to kind of kite the, the, uh, the ghost around, uh, especially in a level like the Black Market where you're trying to, uh, trying to get all these items, and then if you play it the way that, that I do, and, and it's kind of the, uh, the best practices way to play through the Black Market... Yeah, the min-maxing stuff where you um, decide to start stealing from the shopkeepers, which marks you as a terrorist, and you will need to fight off shopkeepers for the rest of the game every time they see you. Uh, It is a way to get a ton of items for free, and sometimes that risk is worth the reward. Or that reward is worth the risk. Um, But in those cases, you're going to be spending a lot of time in that level, uh, longer than 2 minutes and 30 seconds, so that ghost is going to come out. And being able to kind of kite the ghost around and still do everything you want to uh, without this time limit, it's just, hey, if you have the skill, you can keep going as long as you want. But just know that it's we're going to make the game gonna a little bit hard. harder at this point. Yeah. And then there's the absolute, I would say, like the gold level of Spelunky. This is the highest level, the the coolest things you can do. Everything from... Um, eggplant runs to uh, to trying to kill the ghost, uh, which is possible but very time-consuming and seemingly impossible. Um, one of the other things you can do is something called ghost running, uh, which I have done once, exactly once, and uh, or effectively done once. I've tried it a couple times, and it's always failed miserably, but I've been able to do it once. And ghost running, uh, the ghost has the ability as it crosses through the screen, because it can go through walls and and kind of just go wherever it wants as it pursues you. Uh, If it goes over a gem, like a ruby or an emerald in the game, it will turn those gems to to diamonds, and diamonds are worth a, a heck of a lot more than rubies or sapphires or emeralds or those kinds of gems. So to get the highest amounts of money and to be able to get the highest scores in turn, you need to be ghost running on every stage. So you can get the most possible score that you can get. Um, And that leads more into leaderboard stuff. So you have the guys who are insanely good at Spelunky who have never done this. Yeah. These guys have been able to beat the game multiple times. They've beaten Yama multiple times. It's it's very much uh, it, even even beating the true ending isn't really the end of the game when you when you realize that there are these mechanics and tactics out there that are just are built for these incredibly high levels of play um, and and as a person who 
kind of tries to punch above his weight a little bit. I've tried some of these and, you know, some very rarely you get it to work and, and most of the time it fails and it just gives you a bigger appreciation for what these people can do. Um, but yeah, ghost running is, is ridiculous. Um, but if you, if you want a super challenge of Splunky, like I'd, I'd give it a shot. There are so many ways to screw yourself and, and not be able to jump out of a pit that you accidentally landed in and then the ghost can just come and, and kill you and there's nothing you can do about it. But um, that, that is that upper echelon of Splunky play. Okay, I have a question for you. Yeah, bring it. So now that we, we kind of understand like, that, that, that there are many different goals that you can have leading into a run, what is the one that you consistently pick when you have picked up the game? Okay. So is your goal when you enter that first game to be Olmec, or is it, are you always trying to get to the City of Gold and get the true ending? <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Uh, and it's, I, I imagine my answer is going to be somewhat similar to yours, knowing our previous conversations about this game. But I go in thinking, I'm just going to get to Olmec. Like I'm, I'm going to play this game straight. Uh, I'm going like, to go through the game. Like I can't count on uh, getting the Ujat Eye and getting through the chain and getting to the City of Gold and any of that kind of stuff. So don't even worry about it. Let's just let's just do Olmec. And then you get to the third or fourth level of the mines, and there's that key. You go, oh well. I mean, the key's right here. Like I'll, I can grab that. I can just get the Ujat Eye. Like it's. Like, having the Ujadai doesn't mean I have to do the Yama run. So, like, yeah, we'll just get it. This is easy enough. I might as well. And then you get to the jungle, and then you think, ah, I don't need to go to the black market. And then that thing flashes a little bit. You go, oh, well, I mean, the black market's right here. I have enough bombs. Like, I could I could do this. I, I bet I, you know what? I can get through the black market. Like, that, that shouldn't be a problem. I can get the Ankh. Like, the Ankh is is a good item to have no matter how you're playing the game. And then you get the Ankh, and as soon as you get the Ankh, it's like, man, you know what? I think I could actually do this. This might be a Yama yeah. run. And so it, it inevitably just becomes it, going for Yama every single time. Um, but I, I try. I try to say, you know what? I haven't beaten Olmec that much. I think maybe I've beaten him a total of four times or something. It's yeah. it's criminally low. <laughs> Again, I'm trying to kind of I'm kind of punching above my weight. I know things that I probably shouldn't have known at this point of playing the game, and <laughs> so I end up uh, I end up just kind of getting in over my head and and dying uh, while trying to perform the chain. But I, I would say I try to do Olmec every time. And then Spelunky is else. all about punching above your weight. True. That's the only way you get so, better. Yeah, exactly. It's the only way you advance in like the the narrative that's involved because there is a, a a vague narrative, but there is a narrative. Um, and yeah, I guess you're. I, I guess I am very similar in that I'm going to try to beat Olmec every time, and I get led astray. Yep. <laughs> in a way, but. Um, now I, I've gotten to the point where I might stick to my first goal of beating Olmec if the items drop in the way that um, I want them to. Like if, if I can just buy the items from the shopkeepers the right way and not have to worry about yeah. fighting them, robbing them, and I have the items that I want and I know I can make a good run with, then I won't worry about this, the, the min-maxing or anything like that. Right. 
Hey, uh, you mentioned some of the items before and every item having a use and, and just um, like having items that are kind of your go-to items that you are just your preference and your, of your style of play. Um, uh-huh. So outside of, of the you know obvious best uh, items like the jetpack or the shotgun or the box of bombs or the onk or those kinds of things, uh, what's, what's kind of your mid-level, low-level... Like, there's that item. Man, I'm really glad I have that item, that power-up, that passive upgrade. Uh, what's, yeah. what's kind of your go-to one that you, you always get really excited when you see it? Yeah, it's uh, the, the one outside of the shotgun. The shotgun's obvious. Um, but the compass and the climbing gloves are the two items I will buy no matter what. Um, and the compass is, it directs you... It, it has, like, a red arrow that just points you to the exit of the level. So that might not seem that important in the mines um, because you, you have to take a, the, a, the same path all the way down. Um, it, the, the mines are very good at directing you. Not in a, I don't want to say in a linear way because you can bomb your way through any way you want, but in a, in a very obvious way. You know where the exit is. But when it comes to farther on in the game, especially at the ice caves where there is just the abyss below, so you don't really know where the exit is below you, um, that becomes a crucial item into figuring out, well, I actually need to get to the other side of the map and then descend down the side um, to find this exit. Uh, so I just absolutely love the compass. And I, as I get to the temples, if I have a ton of bombs, sometimes I won't even bother fighting anyone. I'll just find where the exit is and just bomb my way through because sure. the temple is just so dangerous. Um, and then for the climbing gloves, that allows you to grapple on the side of any wall. You don't have to be on a ledge. And that kind of removes your dependence or need for ropes for the most part. Um, and it, it allows you to, it opens up your abilities in scaling the level that you can kind of maximize your time in the level if you're not ghost running. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, Compass, compass Climbing Gloves are my two favorite outside of the shotgun. I mean, I'm, I'm very much with you. Um, I, I always like getting the Climbing Gloves. Um, they're a relatively cheap item. I think they're something like eight thousand dollars when you're in the uh, when you're in the mines. Everything gets more expensive the more you uh, the deeper you get in the game. But it's a it's a relatively cheap item considering that the that you can get uh, like a single gold bar, which is pretty plentiful in those mines for five hundred uh, five hundred dollars. So you actually end up building up enough cash early to be able to get that pretty consistently. Um, climbing gloves end up killing me probably more often than they help me. Really. Uh, just because you, they save my ass all you, the time. well, it, that too, but I still feel like now it, it changes the mechanics of the game enough. The, the very basic mechanics of the game, uh, that sometimes I stick to a wall that I didn't think I was going to stick to, or sometimes oh, sure. I, I threw a bomb and then I was just going to jump, uh, jump off, jump up to this ledge and then jump over it. But, oh wait, I stuck to the wall a little earlier than I thought, uh, and, Oh crap! Now I'm now I'm in a bad place. Oh god, the bomb went off and I'm dead. Uh, yeah. So that that ends up happening a good amount, but I still like getting them. Uh, you are right. The the dependence on on ropes. Like sometimes you'll still need that need those ropes sure. just so you can get up uh, an area that you that has no walls at a, any at any point. You just need to get a little higher. Uh, but more often than not, like having those climbing gloves and being able to just stick to a wall can get you out of a lot of sticky situations. But 
it just changes the way you have to think about Spelunky and when you're already trying to keep a million other things top of mind like sometimes you don't remember it oh wait I have the climbing gloves something like that doesn't work at this point uh, the compass is another very good one yeah I try to get the compass too um, one that that I really like that I uh, that I like getting even though it's not really a good item is the web gun uh, really? Yeah. explain to me why that is because so, I always avoid the web gun one of the problems with one of the things that happens in Spelunky with me, and I, I see it from a lot of different players, is you kind of get the... Uh, it happens a lot in Mario Brothers too, or Super Mario Brothers, where if you see an enemy on the screen, you want to eliminate it. You need to take that enemy out of the equation. And that usually means killing it. And in Spelunky, there isn't really much of a reward to killing enemies. Uh, other than getting them out of your uh, mental space that you need to take up. But more often than not, like if there's a snake on the ground somewhere, or there's a bat like up uh, perched up on in the top of the uh, mines, like they, they aren't really bothering you, and if you just ran past them, you're fine. Like You can easily outrun anything else in the game. You're going to be okay. And... It, it happens to me a lot where it's just like, oh man, I see that enemy. I need to go kill that enemy just so I don't have to worry about it. But the act of going to kill it gets you hurt or killed right. because you just couldn't let it go. So the web gun actually helps me to feel like I have effectively eliminated an enemy without necessarily killing them. Because you can shoot a web at them and they get stuck in that web and then they're not, they can't move at all. So that at least, hey, they're locked down, they're isolated, they're not coming after me anymore. So I like the web gun for that. Uh, the web gun is also uh, kind of helpful for just uh, some general movement, uh, as webs that are, are shot uh, allow you to even stick in the air a little bit, depending on where the, the web actually is. Uh, and Spelunky does have fall damage, and there are some places where you can... Uh, definitely fall and lose a, a big chunk of life. Um, so to have those webs that you can kind of use as maybe a little bridge, um, if if this if there's a gap in front of you that you couldn't know, you know you couldn't jump, you, you can shoot a web at it and then it hits that opposite ledge and now it gives you a little bit more space to uh, to jump into and then you can jump out of that web onto the other side. So it, it has some usefulness and it's also a very cheap item. Um, it's uh, like like we said, the climbing gloves were eight thousand. I think the uh, I think it's like something like fifteen hundred or twenty five hundred. It's really cheap to get the web gun. Uh, I usually don't end up keeping it very often because you'll you'll find something that can that sounds better, yeah, yeah, that can occupy your hands. And Spelunky, uh, there are active items, things that that go in your in your hands and arms to actually hold and use. Things like the shotgun, things like a camera. Uh, freeze gun, uh, lot, lots of different things. Uh, then there are items that can go on your back, and those are items like the uh, cape and the jetpack. And then there are uh, passive items that will show up in your inventory, uh, and those can be, uh, well, I guess bombs and ropes don't quite count. They show up in inv- inventory, but there are also dedicated buttons for them, um, so I guess they're still active items. But uh, things like the pitcher's mitt, uh, things like the uh, climbing gloves, things like the compass, 
that those are just passive things that now you have. You don't have to actually worry about doing anything. Activating them. You need to press. Uh, So having having an item that takes up your hands where that's a valuable slot that can be used by better items uh, is is something you need to worry about. And we didn't even talk about the damsels um, yet. Yeah. Which is another great mechanic. So in Spelunky, uh, keeping up with that four bombs, four uh, ropes, you also have four health at the start of the game. And in these levels, you can find damsels, which um, I don't know how you have your set. I, I set it up to be completely random. There are three different um, three different sprites for the uh, the damsels. It can either be a traditional woman damsel in distress. It can be a, a kind of princely looking dude, uh, or it can be a dog. Yeah, I set mine up as the princely looking dude because I found that if I had the if the dog was anywhere in the level, I had to save it, even when it wasn't <laughs> a good option. Um, That's fair. That, just like ate at my uh, conscience <laughs> far too much. Uh, but yeah, getting getting the damsel, and that's something that you have to hold in your hands uh, as you carry them. Uh, that's something that that takes up that slot, that active slot for you. Uh, but you need to get those damsels to the exit. Um, and if you're if you can get to the city of gold or something like that, uh, that also counts as an exit. Uh, but more often than not, you're just taking it to. Uh, the actual regular exit, uh, and that will give you an extra heart. Uh, so now you can you can get above that four health, and and that's just another really great kind of soft cap. Like there there isn't really a cap. There's you start out with these four four pieces of health. You can get more. Um, it's it's somewhat rare, uh, but you can you can get yourself relatively high there are other items like the royal jelly which you'll find at a in the jungle in a beehive and if you get the royal jelly that means you probably had to take down uh, a lot of bees that are very dangerous erratic enemies Uh, but that gives you i think another four health for the royal jelly Uh, that sounds right yeah and then there's but and there is a health cap is there isn't that i think the health cap's eight I don't. Am I wrong? I feel like you might be wrong. I think there's a higher health cap than that, or I yeah, I think it's higher than eight for sure. Uh, anyway, uh, but there are very few health items, so to to get any health back is is a is kind of a, a difficult thing, and and dealing with those damsels in each of the levels is is also tough, and those are not guaranteed to be in a place that you can get to without using bombs or ropes. Um, so those aren't something that you can always count on getting. I think there is always one in each level, but uh, but sometimes they're stuck in a wall somewhere and, and you need to dig in there to go find them. Yeah. It, it's just a lot of little, and like you were talking about earlier, the decision-making just gets better over time the more you play. But there are so many options, and it is a little overwhelming, but because nothing is known... I think it's less overwhelming. It's less intimidating. So when you go into a game, you're kind of fumbling around in the dark. Mm-hmm. And instead of turning on one light and all of, and illuminating the entire room, you're really just getting like a little candle here, a little candle there, a little candle here. And so this drip method of explaining without having to go through a tutorial or anything like that, um, 
makes the decision making come naturally. I think, mm-hmm. um, and it, yeah, a damsel for me is, is really worth the risk at the beginning of the game. Get a bunch of health, but in the later parts of the game, things are going to kill you a lot quicker than uh, than you think. So maybe maybe getting from five to six health isn't worth it anymore. So I just leave the guys. Have rotting you? in the temples or the ice caves or wherever they are. Have you ever gotten the Kapala? The cup? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's such a cool item. It, it's uh, a so, very cool item. Yeah, so there, there is another... Um, I don't know what the appearance rate of this uh, sacrificial altar is, but there's a sacrificial altar in... Is it only in the mines? No, it's in everything. It's in everything? Um, yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, what am I thinking? Um... And so if you if you take a damsel and you sacrifice it, instead of taking it to the exit, uh, put it on the altar, you will get a, an item at random. And I think, how many times do you have to sacrifice someone before the cup shows up? Do you know? So it's, it's, it's tough, because it's, it's eight. It's eight units, um, and different, different, you can put different things on the altars to get different uh, amounts of those units that are kind of like your Kali karma points. Um, So yeah, if you can put a live damsel on there, I believe that's four points. Um, If you put a dead damsel, uh, that gets you two, I want to say, maybe just one. Um, If you can put a live enemy that can be knocked out. So there are some enemies that are just one-hit kills, like the bats and and snakes that you can just easily kill in, in a single thing. Uh, but there are other enemies like a scorpion and a caveman and a tiki guy and some other things that you can kind of daze, uh, and a shopkeeper for that matter. Uh, you, if you can daze those enemies, you get a, a chance to pick them up and quickly move them before they regain consciousness. Uh, so putting on a live dazed enemy, I think, gets you another two. And then putting on a dead uh, enemy... I might be wrong about the scorpion. It might just be humanoid characters. Um, but if you kill a, uh, a caveman or a yeti, their bodies still are on the screen, so you can take those bodies up. And I think if you put a dead one on there, you get one. So if you can get up to eight total, you'll get okay. the cup. Uh, or the cup yeah, I knew it was a lot. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, if it, it's two damsels. It's two live damsels. And that doesn't sound that bad. Or it's a live damsel and, and some enemies that you can find around the level. Yeah. Assuming the Kali appears in levels that... Yeah. And it doesn't have to all be in one level. You can... It yeah. keeps track across across levels and you can build that progress over uh, the course of a single run. So, what? anyway, the point of the cup is to replenish your health by... Just like... Accruing blood from yeah. your enemies. Murder. <laughs> um, so so that, yeah, if, so when you kill an enemy, they they they're like little sprite blood sprites that bounce, um, and you just have to run over to them, right? Yeah, yeah. you just so need to collect them before they disappear. Pick which, it up, and they disappear pretty fast. Um, but that that also changes the way you play the game. Now you have to be kind of become a, a bloodthirsty uh, guy who's always going after enemies whenever you can because you need to pick up that blood. Uh, to fill the cup because uh, I can't remember how many drops it is uh, before you get an extra heart, but that's that's a way of getting a lot of health over the course of the game, uh, and then you can get into 
you know, more advanced tactics of the the damsels each have a, a certain amount of health. I can't remember if it's two or three or four. Or it's it's over two. It might be three or four. Um, so then you get to the point where you have to kind of hit your own damsels uh, and collect the blood from them. <laughs> um, which is a little sad- it's a little sadistic, but yeah, you Orally, it's you keep them you, you get as much blood as you can out of them, and the, but you keep them alive so you can still take them to the end of the level and get the extra health that way. Um, so you just gotta you gotta double up on that health, man. It's min maxing all the way. Um, but yeah, it, I, playing Splunky can get weird if you're playing it effectively. Yeah, and that's um, I have a problem with min maxing just in general. And so, like, doing all the things that you should be doing in Splunky is very difficult for me because I, it might be part laziness, but also I just don't, like, want to read a guide about how to play Splunky really well. I want to have that discovery aspect over and over again, which is impossible and it is naive right. because there are so many things in this game that you just feasibly won't be able to discover on your own. So, like, looking at a wiki about how to get to the City of Gold or... Um, or hell or something like that but even effective strategies of killing Olmec um, is really necessary because it takes so long to execute any of these things even killing Olmec um, that you need a little help so I know I'm kind of trying to have my cake and eat it too um, but I'm coming around to the mid-maxing thing yeah I I have a a problem with mid-maxing as well but it's kind of the opposite of you like I if I know the strategy or know that there is a strategy out there, I kind of want to know it, and then I want to perform it every time. Uh, so it's very hard for me to just enjoy a regular run of Spelunky, like we talked about with the chain and and how you approach a run at the very beginning. I, I, t- I tell myself I want to just play this game straight up and regular, and then end up going, well... I'm not playing it as effectively as I could. I should, you know, I really should do this. That that's the way a high level Splunky player would do it, and it ends up getting me killed instead of just playing it the way I should probably play it at this point. But yeah, uh, like we've said a couple times now, it's it's all about learning and it's all about punching above your weight and it's all about getting that experience so you can go in and do a little bit better the next time. So yeah, absolutely, and it, I, I don't think there's much incentive to kill Olmec multiple times other than to do it with a little more money in your pocket and yeah you only uh, get uh, faster I mean you get one achievement for killing Olmec uh, or trophy uh, depending on your platform and then uh, there's a secret skin uh, for beating Olmec you get this uh, this little little dude with a uh, cheetah costume thing (laughs) something yeah, you know, while we're on that, let's let's talk about that. So the the basic the the main protagonist there, uh, like we talked about before, is very much an Indiana Jones looking type guy. But that that is by far not the only uh, skin that you can you can play as. There uh, by default, I think there are four available skins. There's uh, the regular Spelunky guy. There is a blue kind of safari looking dude with a pith helmet uh, with a, a a big orange handlebar mustache that kind of goes into sideburns. Um, there is a uh, red uh, red guy with a turban, and there is a girl who is green, I want to say. Yeah. I think, yeah. I think she's green. Uh, 
but then there are nondescript. Yeah. Then there are another uh, a number of other unlockable skins. Uh, who do you usually play as when you uh, start? I actually play as the guy with the turban. Really? He's my mate. Yeah. Yeah. But I try I try to mix it up uh, like most runs, um, especially if I've played in a little while. Uh, I'll usually like start with the the Indiana Jones looking guy, and then if I die, I switch. Well, if I <laughs> if I because if you die, it's so easy to respawn, which is another thing that's great about this game. Just pressing square or X um, and you're back in it. But when I die, I try to change it up and go to the next character. Just go down the line and play play with them all. Interesting. Uh, I am absolutely um, lime every time. The uh, the Mexican guy with the sombrero. Uh, that, oh yeah, <laughs> that's that's my dude right there. I I love. I don't know why I love playing as him. Uh, but there are some some other cool cameo skins, and a lot of those tie into these other special stages. Uh, so we talked about the uh, the four main areas, but then there are also all these uh, different places that you can go uh, off the off the beaten path. And uh, there are some there are some interesting ones. They I, they're all after the mines. Um, so there are I believe two in the jungle. There's a castle that you can go to by uh, by bombing out a very particular uh, space in a particular uh, modifier for the levels. I guess we should back up and talk about those modifiers for the levels. Yeah, I mean, I you want to give somebody a hint that something's there, so then they want to go after it. Sure. So to to know that there are these special stages and and maybe even how to get to them that that kind of stokes the imagination and I. I like that. Also, Spelunky's been out a long damn time. People people should know about Spelunky at this point. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there are these different stages in Spelunky, and I think this is one of the really effective parts and also one of the really frustrating parts about Spelunky that uh, kind of takes me, kind of starts to put me on the other path when I say that this game's mechanically perfect because it does some stuff that seems really unfair uh rarely but it still does it so the the levels where it turns out the lights and you have to it gives you a it gives you a torch uh and that's yeah so go ahead even before we get into like the secret the other like secret levels that don't really have anything beyond uh like finding characters and and filling out your journal um yeah there are some modifiers with each of these there's the they turn out the lights. All you have is a torch, which is a pain in the ass. Yep. Um, there's the. Those are the worst levels. I hear rushing water. Those yeah, are the worst levels too. Yeah, those are yeah, the rushing water one. I don't think is that bad. Uh, it basically it happens only in the jungle, and it basically turns it into an ice caves level because the uh, the floor of the level is is all water, and there will be a sub boss in that water called Old Bitey. <laughs> I love Old Bitey, uh, but there, yeah, it's a giant piranha, and that and its school of other smaller piranha will eviscerate you if you uh, if you jump into that water. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's uh, that modifier. There's the. Um, well, let, let's go down the line. Like let's oh. let's first stay in in the mines here. Uh, so we talked okay. about the who turned up the lights, and that one can happen um, in the mines and the jungle. It might even happen in the temple. 
It doesn't happen in the ice caves. I know that. Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, I don't know if it happens in the temple. Uh, but yeah, that one turns out the lights, and, and you'll have a torch with you. Um, the snakes one that you mentioned, uh, that will make sure... I think there are just more snakes in the level, but there will also be a uh, kind of a set Snake piece pit. That's, a, that's a pit with a bunch of snakes in it. Uh, and at the bottom of that pit, if you bomb out the very bottom, there will be a mattock uh, that will allow you to... Um, like break, break through and dig through uh, some some parts of the level without having to use your bombs, uh, and that's really handy. So that's you know that there's a guaranteed mattock out there if you. I think uh, that item is so things. annoying. I actually don't think it's handy. The mattock? That's yeah. That's the what you were saying about the gloves end up killing you more, doing more damage to you. The mattock inevitably will just destroy me. Hmm. It'll be my undoing. Yeah, I, I, that's happened to me a, a few times before. I think the mattock is is actually really helpful uh, as long as you can keep the high ground. You can definitely kind of screw yourself by digging a little too far down and then not having a way of getting back up. But um, I think it's it's very effective as a way to just take out a single block of the wall without having to uh, use a bomb that could set off a, a chain reaction of different events. Um, but yeah, the Matic uh, is not a unlimited-use item. Eventually it will break... And you'll you'll be able to take the Matic head and still use it as a weapon, which is actually a really effective weapon. Um, but it it it's not something you can count on for using for long periods of time. Um, so anyway, the snake pit we talked about, um, and then there's a spider one that is also in the uh, in the mines that has a ton of spiders and guarantees that the the giant spiders will also be in there. And the giant spiders are are relatively helpful because they will, uh, by killing them, you can get, uh, one, a little bit of money, and two, a power-up that gives you, uh, that upgrades your bombs to sticky bombs, which I think is also one of the most helpful things you can get in the game. Um, it does able. change how you play the game. Definitely. Absolutely. I like I, so many I that one is is another one that I'd put with those climbing gloves. If I always try to get sticky bombs, because um, I feel like they really do change uh, the way I can play and make me a more effective player as I'm doing that. To be able to put a bomb in a very specific place and not just have it bounce around, uh, especially if I'm on uh, looking to uh, kill the shopkeepers and, and steal their stuff. Uh, to be able to stick a bomb directly to them as they're bouncing around very erratically. Uh, that that helps things immensely. Sure. Um, and we, before we go off on that about the the lights getting turned off, uh, one of the things where I don't I don't hate it when it appears is that that's another easy way to accrue a lot of money because there's scarabs that are floating around and they're worth something like five thousand. Yep. Um, and then by lighting each torch, you get a little extra money. Yeah, that is true. There, if you can play it, if you can play it right, you can make it work for you. Uh, yeah. And there are lots of other small light sources in the in the level, um, but that torch is an active item that you have to be holding the whole time. So if you had something like a shotgun, in fact that happened to me today, um, you have the shotgun, you get to a place without lights, you can't hold both. Um, so yeah. Now you're kind of trying to throw items around and try to take both of them with you. Uh, or then you just go, you know what, screw it. Every shotgun blast gives me a little bit of a light source every time I shoot it. <laughs> so let's just play things 
really dumb and and just shoot the whole time I'm I'm moving around the level. I can get real dangerous. Uh, so yeah, I, but those are my least favorite levels and the levels that make me think like, oh man, this was such a good run, and now you've screwed me. Um, even if that's again just screwing somebody at a casual level because if you're playing the game as effectively as possible, it shouldn't be a problem at all. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, more of the special stages uh, in the jungle. Uh, you mentioned the water one, uh, hearing rushing water. Uh, there's also a, it's like a zombie vampire-y uh, stage. That's the one where you can find the castle. Uh but the that brings in these uh, I forgot the names of them. They have a special name, but they're kind of these hopping zombies. They look a lot like uh Sanko from uh, from Darkstalkers. Uh it, that's a specific reference. It is a sure. very specific <laughs> reference, but it's it's also very true. Uh their color palettes and, and everything like that is, is very similar. So I think it's something based off of uh Japanese uh mythology. Because I, I imagine that Senko from Darkstalkers also takes from that same uh, same thing. Um, and then there are also vampires. And uh, there are some skeletons in the game. And generally the skeletons ha- have a chance to, uh, to like assemble into a full skeleton and come after you. But most of the time they're just piles of bones. Uh, but that... that um, proc rate of whether they become full skeletons or not goes way up in uh in the uh the kind of eerie levels um with the the zombies and vampires uh, i'm trying to think some more of them of the, well there's the we, we didn't really dive into like the worm and the mothership either right the, those aren't tied to uh special uh, modifier levels, but yeah, no. Like, let's we can talk about those. Yeah. So the worm, for example, uh, on in the jungle and in the ice caves, but not. I don't think in in the temple or the mines. Yep, I believe you're right. Yeah. Uh, there's a little red ball, sticky ball, on the side of the wall. That's how I'll say it. And it's very easy to get stuck there as you're jumping around. And it's a good place to maybe drop to if you're trying to drop from really far away. But if you are holding a damsel and you jump on that spot, you get stuck there, just wait a little bit and the floor will, or the wall will start to rumble and you'll get consumed by a giant worm, which is uh, like a special side level. It doesn't, doesn't have to do anything with the chain or even Olmec. Right. Like, like the castle, it's a, it's a special stage that has uh, each of these special stages has a uh, has an item that you can only get in these different stages, and then it also has uh, a coffin. Um, I don't think it always has a coffin, but um, it has a chance to have a coffin. And these coffins are the places where you can go and find new skins for your for your character to use. So, whereas something like the castle, the coffin in there holds Van Helsing, um, which is is a pretty cool skin. I like that skin a lot. Um, yeah. And and in the worm, uh, it is Super Meat Boy, which is fantastic. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't really look like Super Meat Boy. I mean, it no, does, it it's but like a it's muscular version. Yeah, but it's cool. It's a it's a nice little touch. Um, 
that's something something I really like about um, about this game is that it does it roguelikes and roguelites or whatever you want to call them uh, there is sometimes a lack of a persistent element and what Splunky has done with the uh, journal entries and the hidden characters is given you something to work toward outside of just defeating these main bosses um, so like just I, like I have something like 370 deaths in this game and I just found the last hidden character that you can just find like in the regular levels mm-hmm. um, and finally broke open that one and so I, I have I'm still missing a couple hidden characters from like uh, I assume there's some in the city of gold and things like that but yes um, yeah just just being able to to like add to a journal or something and be like okay that run wasn't complete shit because <laughs> at least I discovered something new even though I died you know in the mines or wherever um, is a pretty cool thing Definitely, yeah, and I think uh, I think Spelunky is really a good pioneer for a lot of these other um, these these roguelike roguelike likes, whatever you want to call them, um, because we've we've had so many other games that, that when we went down that list uh, before of all these different roguelite games, Spelunky's kind of that first one, and. A lot of these other games seem to be uh, taking inspiration from Splunky just as much as they are from from the original game Rogue in in making these making these mechanics palatable to like a more core audience. Um, I would say something like uh, something like Rogue Legacy would have never come around if it wasn't for a game like Spelunky. Uh, yeah, I agree. And even uh, even a game like Binding of Isaac, which feels like a separate thing, it's a twin-stick shooter, it's not a platformer, it still takes so many mechanics from a game like Spelunky. Um, like even down to something like you have uh, bombs as, as something that you use. Now, you could say that that kind of comes more from Bomberman as being a top-down game that uses bombs more than Spelunky, but I think... I think it adds to it of, you know, this, this game has bombs. It really changes the way, uh, Splunky has bombs. It really changes the way you move around the levels and see levels and, uh, get to items. And a game like Binding of Isaac does it very similarly of there's, you can play through that game without using bombs, but having those bombs allows you to go down different paths and, and find different items and, and, uh, change the way you play the game. And I think that is very much a, a Spelunky inspiration more than it is from any other game. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, but sorry, I think way back there I interrupted you. I think you're talking about the um, uh, some of the, the hidden levels. Uh, I, I think we're okay. Like The rest of them I think people can, can go and find on their own. There's, uh, mm-hmm. there's a mothership out there uh, with some aliens that's pretty cool. Um, it, that might be the hardest level in the game, uh, in my opinion. Uh, that has so many different things that can shoot and kill you, and the screwy angles. Uh, yeah, and also like the really hard part about Spelunky is when you play it as much as the two of us have, or, or even more. The mines are really easy. Like I, I'm sure we've died more in the mines than anything else, but that's only because it's yeah. the first the first area of the game. Yeah. But I feel like any run where I don't get out of the mines is a failure. Uh, 
Like that that's an immediate failure of man, yeah, I something I something really fucked up. Um and I'm pretty pleased to say that I, I get out of the mines like maybe eighty percent of the time. Like I it is yeah. it's relatively high now that I'm I'm getting out of there. Um the jungle is probably the the de facto hardest uh area of the game just by it has so many enemies and and things in it. Um, it is so. It might be the most dense of of any of the main areas, um, but I think it's. I think that's good though. Like you don't necessarily have to have your game ramp up every single time. Um, in fact, that is another thing that I I believe is written in the book, uh, the Spelunky book by Derek Yu, that uh, having that kind of rise and fall of action instead of just a constant rise is is really good for the player uh, so having i think even i think there are even some stats in the book of how many people got the achievement for getting to the end of the mines and that was a good number of people a big a pretty high percentage and then it goes way way down of how many people got the achievement for passing through the jungle but once you've passed through the jungle, the people who pass through the ice caves is a, a much smaller drop. And then after that, the people who got through the temple is a much smaller drop from even that. So you're getting through, if you can get through the jungle, I feel like you have progressed to a, a pretty good point of understanding the basics of Spelunky. Yeah. But then you just get into the point where because you rarely get to the ice caves or the temple or the mothership or the castle or those kinds of things, those levels are just so hard because they are the only levels left that you aren't keenly aware of. Like if going through the mines now, I could tell you every enemy and every thing I could encounter in the mines. If we got to the jungle, I might forget a couple if we got to the ice caves, I'd probably forget a lot more just because you don't you don't hit those areas as often as the other ones. And it, it adds more of attention to the game. Even even though the ice caves are pretty easy, I would say. They're, they're pretty easy, yeah. They're big and open and there's it, sure it doesn't have a, a final floor so you can always fall to your death at the at the bottom. But by the time you get to the ice caves, if you've gotten there, you're probably you probably have a good amount of equipment to handle the ice caves relatively easily. Like something like the climbing gloves can make the ice caves a, a total breeze. Oh gosh, yeah, they're cinch if you have the climbing gloves. So, uh, but yeah, it's just the familiarity, and that's that's again like it's you just need to practice playing spelunky to get better at playing spelunky. And uh, I don't know, it's a really it's a really really good game. I, I mean, I know you have to practice any anything to get better at it, but it feels like Spelunky is so much more rewarding uh, to get through things because it has more of a challenge to it. Um, I, I assume it's probably the same feeling people have with Dark Souls. I think Dark Souls is bullshit, but that's just me. I, I understand... Non-believer over here. I understand the concepts of Dark Souls, but I just do not like them. Um, I think what's really surprising to me about that statistics that you're pointing out that there's a huge drop off around the jungles is for me, like once I got to the mines, it was like, Holy shit, that there's a lot of possibilities outside of just like this tiny world that I'm struggling in. The mines are the ice caves. 
The, what's that? You said the mines. Yeah. yeah oh. So, like, when, when I eventually got past the mines... Past the mines, okay. Motivated. Yeah, it motivated me more so than than to keep going. I'm, I, I think I was more at risk of bouncing off this game in the mines, but once you... Because the jungle is such a, a different, like, visually different environment from the mines, um, it kind of, you know, there's an awe factor involved that um, I knew it was a special game once I got outside the mines, but I really couldn't tell that in the mines. Does that For make sure. sense? Yeah, absolutely. Kind of yeah. I mean, yep. I, that game is, like, it happened to me. I, I got to the ice caves, I think, once playing the Xbox 360 version and just playing through the mines all the time and then playing through the jungle a smaller amount of the time it was brutal like you get to the point it's like man i don't feel like i'm progressing in this game at all and you just give up instead of learning the mechanics and and really understanding what's going on and and i'm glad that i gave that game a second chance because now it's it's a game i continually find myself coming back to for just a few games here or there and even though i'm not very good at it anymore um it's still, I, I'm hooked enough where I don't mind that I'm just really going through the mines and the jungle and occasionally the ice caves anymore. Like that's yeah. that's okay, because um, I know I know what else is out there and I it it keeps me excited about the game instead of constantly wondering if there's something past this or if I'm just slogging through. Um, Definitely. Well, let's let's start to kind of wrap this up. There was there's one yeah. last uh, aspect of this game that I I think is really important, not just for Spelunky, but for video games in general, especially these uh, these kind of modern indie games, the the ten to fifteen dollar games out there, and that is the daily challenge. So this is something that Spelunky did not originally ship with. The original Spelunky uh, Spelunky Classic didn't have this. Uh, Spelunky HD for the Xbox 360 didn't have this, and I don't even think it came out initially for Vita and PS3 when that PSN version came out. Um, but it came a little bit later, and this is also in the book um, how exactly it came about. So I don't think we need to talk about the uh, about the origin of the daily challenge, but. The fact that it's there and the fact that it has inspired so many other games to have their own daily challenges, I think, really gives Spelunky a uh, a spot in history. I I think if if you were going to make a Hall of Fame of games, like this Spelunky hit upon an important aspect. Uh, They might not have even been the first to do it, but they are definitely the ones that popularized the daily challenge to the point where... It seems like so many games have a daily challenge these days, um, and, uh, enough to where I, I, I used to have a, uh, a time where I was playing through just all these different daily challenges. Like I'd play, I'd play Spelunky's daily challenge, I'd lose, uh, then I'd go play Ali Ali and try that daily challenge, challenge, oh, and, God, lose, yeah. and then I'd move on to another game, and it was just daily challenge after daily challenge after daily challenge. Uh, to explain that a little bit more, the daily is uh, a single level. Everyone gets the same seed, so the, uh, everyone plays through the same uh, environment—not environment, but the exact same level setup. Um, the the way the random num- number generator works in Splunky and and any game with a random number generator, it spits out. Uh, a code or a seed at this point and then that is the same 
thing that every other player uses as they play through. So for a single 24-hour period, you can play through this one seed uh, one time. And whoever, you, you, you're just playing a regular game of Spelunky, but you can't go back and play this, this exact same seed again. And this is your one shot to see how far in the game you can get uh, and to see how much gold you can accrue, since that's what counts for your score. And then it has a daily leaderboard, so you can see how you did against everyone else in the world. Um, and that that was a really addictive thing to do uh, when it first came out, and to see the massive amount of players going through and to be able to see in which stage they died and how much uh, gold they'd accrued. So you could start to see, you could very much see, here are some players who kind of understand Spelunky, here are players who really understand Spelunky and just got screwed over, Uh, here are people who absolutely know what they're doing and and were very effective in doing it. Um, Because you'd see that, man, here's here's a person who died in the the second level of the mines. Okay, that, that person might just not be very good at Spelunky. Uh, then you can see somebody who died in the exact same level, but who had a ton of gold, like way more gold than you could expect to, to regularly get in there. And you think, wow, that, that must have been a really good player who was trying to do some ghost running and, and messed up somewhere uh, because they still got a ton of gold. Wow, that's incredible. Or you could see somebody who got, man, they got all the way to the temple that time. Uh, and they didn't have a bunch of gold, so maybe that's a, a player who was just kind of figuring out uh, how to play, but not necessarily doing the super advanced mechanics that you would need to uh, to actually get the highest score possible. So I, I found it really fascinating just to see the kinds of players out there. Um, I, I was always pretty bad at it. I don't think I ever really got higher than no, yeah, I've never been like something anywhere in, close. I think I might have gotten into the uh, single-digit thousands at one point. Um, like yeah. somewhere around like 8,000 or 9,000, which I was really proud of. Uh, but more often than not, it was you know in the, the teens or 20s of thousands. And like, that's probably not as good. Uh, but yeah, those those were really cool. And that was a, a cool thing to... I mean, there were, there were ways to... I would say, I guess, kind of cheat it, where you watch somebody else do their daily challenge run, or you watch somebody stream it on Twitch, and and you kind of see how they're going through, and you start to understand, okay, well, I know there's a jetpack on you know two, three, so I, I need to go make sure I get that. and um, So there are ways to kind of get around it a little bit, but it was it's very fascinating to play this exact same game that everyone else is playing, and to, to kind of see how you stack up in this game that is so dense that even even when the game is the same for everyone, people end up playing it entirely differently and getting different items because they they go to different places. Um, it it yeah. is remarkable, and uh, in, in that in the book, he does he spends a, a good amount of time actually explaining his love for arcade machines mm-hmm. and. Uh, and Splunky's very arcadey, even outside of the daily challenge. But Definitely. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it triggers that competition aspect in you. But it also uh, reminds me of just how inferior inferior I am to these other Splunky players, <laughs> and it's a very humbling mode. Absolutely, yeah. 
But I mean, those those people can get screwed too. Like they just yeah. they hit a they hit a bomb at a wrong time. They make a mistake, and you know, at, at some point, it's like, wow, I beat Bananasaurus Rex, which I probably have never beaten Bananasaurus Rex. Bananasaurus Rex, for those who don't know, is is probably the best Spelunky player out there. Uh, he streams on Twitch a lot. He was the first to uh, to do what is called a solo eggplant run, which I, I guess we don't need to get into, but it is something that shouldn't be possible in the game. Um, but he takes advantage of that ball and chain Moai statue thing that we had talked about a little bit earlier uh, to be able to get through the true ending and beat it in a way that is different than the regular true ending. <laughs> uh but that's very difficult to do. I think he was also the first one to kill the ghost, um, which we talked about being a super arduous process because I think you can only do two damage to the ghost at any one time, and the ghost has, I believe, 9,999 HP. Your favorite number? Yeah, I love that number. Uh, And there are only a few things that actually can hurt the ghost at all. Um, So it it is quite the task... To uh, to kill the ghost and and he streamed himself doing it and I believe he was the first. Um, so yeah, there's there's a lot of cool Spelunky stuff out there. Like I, uh, other than him, I, I think everyone else has something to strive for uh, when playing Spelunky because there are just some crazy things to do. There there are people who play Spelunky trying to get the least amount of gold possible. There's uh, there's speed Lunky. Uh, which is uh, an achievement trophy in the game, as well as just kind of a way of life, uh, where you just... Uh, Splunky has a regular walking speed, but then you can hold one of the triggers, and that causes you to sprint. Uh, and sprinting is super dangerous, because there's a lot of stuff out there that can hurt you, uh, and you can't take those things into account as quick uh, when you're going so fast. Uh, so there's there's definitely trying to beat the game. I believe Speed Lunky is beating it within two minutes, beating the whole game in two minutes. Which oh, uh, I thought it was a lot more than that. Uh, it like might it might be more than that. Minutes. It might be five minutes, five or seven. Yeah, because yeah, I think like the I, I've had some I, I've done Speed Lunky through the mines before, but like <laughs> doing doing it any further than that is. Uh, to the point where you need to be a better player than I am. Yeah, like I, I know I've been able to beat some levels within seven seconds, uh, which is really good. Uh, but it's made, keeping up that pace through the whole game is crazy. Uh, so yeah, there, there's there's a lot of extra challenges and objectives to do in Spelunky if you if you have the time um, and if you have the the patience. So. Spelunky, really fantastic game. Uh, I think Pierce uh, was right when he said the uh, the best way to play Spelunky is on Vita, even if it's not necessarily the absolute definitive version of it. Um, and and that's what makes it such a great handheld game and a game that I think is worthy enough to talk about on this show. Yeah, yeah. And and you had mentioned it might not fall in your top ten. It might actually fall in my top ten. It really? might be number right. ten or number nine, but it, it might get that honor. Very cool. Yeah, it's again, it's a fantastic game. Uh, I think it uh, deserves to be played by by everyone out there. Uh, Pierce, tell me how uh, people can find you on the internet, what you're up to, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, I don't know where people can find me anymore because I don't have, uh, I don't really tweet anymore. Uh, I do have an Instagram that is just Pierce Corshane, P I C P 
B-I-E-R-C-E-C-O-U-R-C-H-A-I-N-E. Uh, so I guess you can follow me there if you want. And then, um, yeah, what am I doing? I'm just like living out in New York, man. I just got married a couple weeks ago. Nice. Doing yeah. the thing. I was, um, I was there. You were there. Chase was there. He, the reason why uh, we are having this podcast is because Chase uh, purchased me a Vita for my wedding present, which thank you again. Of course. I'm always happy to buy obsolete technology for people. <laughs> you know, I absolutely love it. And if people are listening to this now and that do not have a Vita and are maybe on the fence, um, I'll just say that I am not a mobile gamer naturally. I think Chase is forcing me into being one. Um but the Vita kind of changed my mind about all that. Now I, I just want to carry the thing with me wherever, just in case I have a minute to to do a Spelunky run or something. Like this is um, this is going to be a, a system I use going forward, even as people continue to pile dirt on top of its grave. Right? Yeah. If you're if you're out there thinking maybe I should get a Vita, the first thing I would say to you is you're too fucking late. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> cause where, where were you years ago when that system still had a chance? Cause, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely on its way out. It's being phased out. Uh, but there are like Sony has more or less abandoned it, uh, in terms of developing new games for it. But I, I will say they've done a pretty good job of, uh, courting developers to port over their games and, and to make, uh, to make good versions for Vita. Uh, so there's still stuff coming out. I, Last night, in fact, I downloaded the uh, the PS Vita version of uh, Axiom Verge. Uh, oh, nice! Which is somewhat appropriate, considering I think it's Metroid's thirtieth birthday today. I think that's right. It is. Yeah, that's right. I saw so, that. Uh, right. So I yeah. bought a game that is basically the next Metroid because um, Nintendo's not making it, um, or not the next true Metroid anyway. Um, but yeah, so that's there. There are lots more games. Uh, we are in August now. Um, but I, there are lots of, lots of handheld games that I need to play uh, before our Game of the Year episode and Axiom Verge. Even though the console version came out last year, the handheld version came out this year. So it is, it is eligible, and I need to, uh, need to experience it before I can make a judgment on it. Anyway, uh, what else are you playing, Pierce? Like, real quick. Uh, yeah, um, so on the Vita, I've been playing Splunky, and then uh, I... I was telling you that I beat Hitman Go, the definitive version of that, uh, which was also a 2016 release, I guess, if you're counting that specific version. Mm-hmm. Um, and fa- uh, just absolutely great game. Um, I, I want to play it a lot. I've played, uh, yeah. I played Laura Croft Go, which is the uh, pseudo-sequel to it, and then uh, that we're getting a, uh, a uh, Deus, Deus Ex, Ex. Go uh, coming within, I think, the next month or so. Um, so that should yes, be coming out really soon. soon I thought. Yeah. But yeah, Hitman Go yeah. looks looks like a really nice, minimal, stripped down board gamey version of that game, and I I think yeah. that looks really cool. I want to play it. Yeah, put some headphones on and uh, solve some puzzles. Yeah, um, yeah, and I'm a fan of, of tabletop games anyway, so that hits a mark where I actually don't like playing uh, tabletop games in video game form because mm-hmm. um, I don't want it to. I don't want that. The, I don't want the experience to change into that. I don't want to play Small World on my PC all the time, and I think that would uh, um, deter me from playing with people because it's a pain in the ass to play with people. But it's so rewarding. Yeah. So absolutely, I feel the same like way about that itch. Yeah, I feel the same way about card games. Like I love playing uh, physical card games, uh, but it just 
it's I, I play a lot of digital ones too and it's it's not because I like digital ones more than the physical ones it's really just a case of there aren't enough people out there playing the same physical card games as you so uh, it, it makes a little more, more sense to play some yeah of unless you go to your like local comic shop and yeah play with all the <laughs> like the, the randos there right that um, it's it's hard for me because there is a local comic book shop less than a block away from my apartment. I should totally just go there. I could play some Magic the Gathering. I could play some Pokemon. I suppose, but then I don't. I don't know if I want to meet the rest of the people who play those games. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if it's like social anxiety for me, but it, it's a uh, that first step of like introducing yourself and talking with someone, especially in a context where you're. You're there to do something else. You're not there to meet them. And so I always have a hard time with that. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's also partly that I have a certain shame for, for playing these games that I feel like aren't <laughs> necessary. Like that's that's something that might be, you know, a little bit more for kids or for for the kinds the kinds of people who generally play those games, and I am stereotyping here, uh, those are not the kinds of people I want to hang out with. There's well, some arrested development. And I realize, yeah, I, I realize that there are probably also people out there like me who still play these games, but those are those are just not the people I seem to run into the few times that I've gone to comic book shops to play uh, magic release tournaments or uh, playing through a Pokemon tournament one time was not not a great experience, so that's not the way I kind of want to do things. Sure. Anyway, and if you, so. if you are someone who's listening to this and does that, we are not saying that that is not the right thing to do. It's sure, just not yeah. for us. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, Hitman Go um, on the Vita. I've been playing a little Monster Hunter Generations on the 3DS. Everyone makes mistakes. It's just not <laughs> for me. Yeah, I, I've, tried, I've tried the Monster Hunter 2. Uh, mine was uh, Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate on the 3DS. Um, and I, man, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. It has... It has some kind of arcane mechanics. I'm, I guess, I'm a little surprised that somebody who enjoys a game like Dark Souls, because I can see a lot of uh, overlap between those two games, yeah, uh, those two franchises. Yeah, and I there, you might there definitely is. That's how my friends hooked me, as they were saying, "Oh, it's, it's Dark Souls, but you know, in a handheld game, we can all play together," sort of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, on the small screen like that, and with like the DS control, 3DS controls. Uh, it doesn't have the same um, fluidity. I feel like my hands are really cramped, and I can't really move around the the map that well to take on these bosses. Um, yeah, and just like you were saying, there's a lot of arcane things in that game that um, takes a while to to learn, and it, it's just a lot all at once. It's a lot of text at once too. It's not. I don't think they're introducing these um, these systems in, in the most clear concise way no absolutely not and and i've heard that this one this newest game is probably the best at doing that and if it's still the oh, case God. that it's not not doing it well then man that's yeah it's pretty rough uh, so I, I i might retire that soon i might not even worry about playing any more of it if you're not enjoying it just don't play it for just sure eat that 40 bucks is there any uh, uh, specific game that you are close to playing or about to play that uh you want to tell I me about? Try to what? I'm not uh, trying anything. I, just, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, before I say what's on my docket, <laughs> I did play about um, three hours last night of this this little game. You might have heard of it. Uh, it's called Rocket League. Um, yeah, I've heard. And of that. I am 
I am back into Rocket League, uh, which I've quit now uh, two or three times because I purchased it on multiple systems. But maybe it's the Olympics that did it, and my friends are really into it. So played some two v two and some three v threes, and did some did some uh, trolling on some kids and things like that. And that was a lot of fun. But I don't think I'll come back to that anytime soon again. <laughs> but I, every couple months, I usually pick that up and play for a night like I did. Um, okay, so coming up, I will be playing Tearaway, most likely next. Oh, that's a good game. Uh, and then, once I put Monster Hunter away, I will play Persona 4 Gold. That a boy. That's a <sighs> I am looking forward to it, just because I've heard so many good things, not just from you, but also from Taylor, my brother. Right. Um, you're not a big, that's his favorite game. You're not a big Japanese RPG guy, from... I'm not, what I know. but I'm open-minded. At least I think I am. Uh, so I'm going to give it a shot. Good. Cool. I, I, that is that is absolutely the game that I think is is kind of that gateway drug to to JRPGs. Like, if you didn't grow up playing Final Fantasy or, um, I, I don't know, any of the other handful of, of classic RPGs out there, I think if you're if you're just trying to see if it's for you, Persona Four is a really great one to to kind of test uh, whether you enjoy them. Um, it, it definitely does have some incredibly uh, Japanese culture density things that might be a little weird um, for for somebody who's grown up in America and and knows American stuff. Uh, but man, it's it's such a great game, such a great game up there. Bring on the weirdness. All right, good. It, it has some of that for you. And if you really like it, then you should play Tokyo Mirage Sessions because that's that's like we took out some of the story stuff for Persona and we just filled it with more ridiculous Japanese stuff. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm close to finishing uh, I'm good for I, it. We'll I, see how I feel about Persona. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, well, as for me, like I, I do want to play through uh, Axiom Verge. I want to play through Volume, which is Mike Bithel's new game that's a, a stealth kind of game. It's it's very much like um, I've heard it uh, compared to the Metal Gear VR missions. Uh, but that, that also came to Vita, so I want to play that uh, before Game of the Year time. Um, I am finishing up Tokyo Mirage Sessions, hopefully soon. I'm very close to the end of that game. And then the game that I want to play next is... Uh, is something that I've been wanting to play for a very, very long time, and now I just finally got the means to actually play it. Uh, okay. And that is is Pokemon Trading Card Game Two, or or Pokemon Card GB Two. Here comes Team Rocket. I think is the official title. Um, so we got the original Pokemon Trading Card Game for the Game Boy Color uh, a long time ago. I don't know. What was that 1999? Maybe. Um, Sounds right. Yeah. But uh, but there was a second version that uh, only came to Japan that added an extra set of cards, um, and and we got the cards in America, the physical cards, but uh, the game itself never came over, and that was always a shame because I really liked uh, the Pokemon trading card game uh, for Game Boy Color. So um, I now have a translated copy of that game uh, that came on a cartridge. Uh, that works on my Game Boy Advance SP, and I cannot wait to start that. Like I, I know I know that 
things like that things like that can be emulated and I should have probably played it a long time ago on a computer but uh, there is something about playing a game like that on a handheld system and and to be able to have it on a handheld system now uh, makes makes a lot of difference to me so uh, I've always kind of put it off until being able to play it in this kind of form so now that I have it in this form I'm really looking forward to playing it so it's awesome but not not a 2016 release, so uh, it's you, you get that guilt when you play anything that didn't come out this year, because then you think, man, I can't talk about this game for for my podcast here. I don't get that guilt, and it's freeing. <laughs> yeah, I, I sometimes I wish I were you, Pierce. Sometimes I wish. <laughs> I were you. Anyway, uh, uh, let's end this thing. Yeah. So, yeah. Pierce, Pierce, I want to thank you for coming. Oh wait, on. wait, no, nope. one more thing. Yeah, uh, early on I said that. Um, Diablo 3, everything is procedurally generated. I didn't mean that literally. Uh, I just want to go back and correct this. And there are certain, like the main the main levels uh, where the, like the big open spaces, those are procedurally generated, but things like boss areas and um, some specific parts of levels are, are uh, designed with in, in just one way. So I don't know why, but that uh, factual error bugged me throughout this the entirety of this <laughs> podcast. Fair enough, fair enough. I, I haven't actually played the adventure mode of, of Diablo three, so uh, I'm I'm glad I could have your expertise in that in that sense. <laughs> Let's play some Diablo three then. God, Next a, podcast. That is a, that is a game I really need to go back and play at some point. Um, I need to finish the story of that. I was having a good time. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah. Maybe if they made a Vita version, that would be awesome. I'm good <laughs> sure of that. All right. Uh, well, Pierce, thanks for coming on. I'll be sure to have you back uh, real soon, especially now that you have that shiny new Vita and uh, and lots yeah. of lots of different games to play. Um, so we'll we'll get you back Excellent. on here real soon. And uh, I want to thank you all for listening. And I'll talk to you guys next time. Awesome.